Welcome to the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman, where Jerry reads a chapter from the New Testament and gives us key insights and life applications along the way. For more information about the Solid Life Journal and reading plans, visit solidlives.com. And now, let's get into today's reading. Okay, as I mentioned before, the Apostle Paul is confronting the Galatians, I think a little more strongly than he does about any other of the churches that he addresses in the New Testament. And we're still in this. Chapter 3, he's going to really get down to it. But the gist of it is this, that Paul came and laid down the gospel. And we're not just talking about a little story about Jesus, but he laid it down in precise detail about how this whole salvation works through the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, he, having done that, then some other people came in sort of sneakily, and they brought in some of the bondage to the law that you, you Gentiles, you have to keep the law of the Jews. If you really want to be saved, if you really want to be spiritual, then you need to start doing these customs and even the law from what we refer to now as the Old Testament. Well, we're going to come to this in chapter 3. He's coming right to it, and he's going to ask a very pointed question. Watch this. Oh, foolish Galatians. Oh, foolish Galatians. I mean, this is strong talk. Who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? I came and I portrayed Jesus accurately before you that he was crucified. He took your sins. He died with them. Your sins are done. You do not have to keep the law for salvation. The salvation uh, in Jesus was purchased for you by the death of Jesus. So how on earth did you come to this conclusion that now you have to earn it? by keeping the law and by being circumcised, etc. Who has bewitched you? Who has deceived you? See, and so, verse 2, this only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit, talking about the Holy Spirit? Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? He's saying, did you get filled with the Holy Spirit and likely speak in, can speak in spiritual language and operate in the manifestations of the Holy Spirit? Did that come to you because you kept the law and were good enough to receive the Holy Spirit? Or did it come to you because somebody preached to you about the Holy Spirit? You heard it and believed and received. Well, obviously, it's the latter by the hearing of faith, not by the works of the law. So he said, did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit? Are you now being made perfect by the flesh? You began in the Spirit, receiving by the grace of God the way that it was intended. And so now that you're mature, you have to earn it? He said, are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Verse 4, have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? What does that mean? Well, likely what Paul's talking about is that here you are, you just received by grace, and likely Jewish believers are criticizing you, saying, how can you think you're saved? You don't even keep the law. You don't even keep these Jewish customs and so on. And you were attacked, you were persecuted, you were belittled. 
and yet you were born again. You were spirit-filled. And he said, you've suffered. He said, have you suffered so many things in vain? Like you went through all that criticism for having received it so-called the easy way, right? He said, in vain, if indeed it was in vain. Verse 5, therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Now, I want to point out something here, and it seems like I'm going out on a limb, but I'm pretty confident about this, that I think the translators here got this wrong. Now, in many newer translations, they don't capitalize the pronouns for God. So in other words, though they capitalize, of course, the word God and Father and Jesus Christ and Holy Spirit and such, when it says he, referring to God, in the newer translations, they don't capitalize it. But in the King James and the New King James and certain ones, they do capitalize the pronouns. Well, here in Galatians 3, 5, it says, therefore, he who supplies the Spirit, to you, and it capitalizes the pronoun, which means that the translators are saying, this must be God. But I don't believe this is talking about God. Watch this. Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Well, the reason they capitalize it is because there's a pretty prominent belief among Christians today that we human beings, we can't work any miracles and we can't really supply the Spirit. Only God can do that. Well, we all understand that all supernatural things, miracles and such, come from God. However, what I think people overlook, and particularly people who are not from Spirit-filled persuasions and people who don't have faith that the Spirit works through us, then they have this idea that, oh, we just pray and God does all the big stuff. But that's not the way the Bible reads. That's not the way it was in the book of Acts. That's not the way it was in the ministry of Jesus. He sent out the 12 and he said, as you go, preach the gospel, heal the sick. Now he's telling them, heal the sick, you heal the sick, cleanse the leper, raise the dead, cast out demons, freely you have received, freely give. I gave you authority, says the beginning of Matthew chapter 10, and he gave them power, exousia. He gave them power to cast out demons and to heal all kinds of sickness and disease. He gave it to them. And he said, freely you receive, freely give. Go heal the sick. Go cleanse the leprosy. Jesus talks in, in a way that we would never talk or even allow anybody to talk. Well, this doesn't make sense if it's talking about God. Just Let's just put God in there and see if it makes sense. Verse 5, therefore, God who supplies the Spirit to you and God who works miracles among you, does God do it by the works of the law or does God do it by the hearing of faith? Well, that's just absurd. <laughs> God does not do it either by the works of the law and God does not do it because somebody preached these promises to him and he heard it and he believed and he did it. So the answer is neither would be true if it's God. Well, this doesn't say it's God. This just says he and the translators just are interpreting that as God. This is not talking about God. This is talking about the apostles and those whom God sent to those churches of Galatia to preach the gospel. And notice it says, therefore, he who supplies the spirit to you. Well, don't you remember in the book of Acts for an example? And there are multiple examples. But in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 8, Philip went down to Samaria and preached Christ to them. And multitudes, with one accord, heeded the things that Philip spoke, hearing 
and seeing the miracles which he did. But guess what? They were baptized in the name of Jesus, but they hadn't yet received the Spirit. And the Bible says, and when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the Word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. And when they got there, they laid hands on the people who had been saved that they might receive the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit was given. And that's when Simon the sorcerer said, oh, I'll pay you money that on whomever I laid hands. They'll, be, they'll receive the Spirit. See, Simon the sorcerer saw, man, these guys, Peter and John, are laying hands on people, and people are being filled with the Spirit. That's exactly what Paul is talking about here. Now, he who supplies the Spirit to you, not Peter and John, because that was in Samaria, but Paul and others who came to the people of Galatia and laid hands on people, they were filled with the Spirit. He said, he who supplies the Spirit, of course, the Holy Spirit comes from God. Of course. But he uses us in the name of Jesus with that authority and us being spirit-filled ourselves to lay hands on people and for people to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I've laid my hands on so many hundreds of people, maybe even thousands, I don't remember over the past 30 years, for people to be filled with the Spirit, and they have been. See, so yes, the Holy Spirit comes from God, but so many people that I laid hands on they never would have received the Holy Spirit had I not, yes, preached to them, but also laid hands on them to supply the Spirit to them from the Holy Spirit who was in me. And he flows right through. See, it says, so therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, talking about human beings, doing it by the power of the Spirit, does he... That person that came, that human being that came, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Now it makes sense. Is that person able to have those miracles and healings happen and to see people filled with the Spirit? Did that person do it by measuring up to a certain status of being obedient and that's how they're qualified to do it? Or did they do it because it was preached to them that the Lord wants to minister through you? in the power of the gospel, the power of the Holy Spirit, in the authority of Jesus' name? Is it by the hearing of faith? Well, the obvious answer is the hearing of faith. They didn't earn that status by being good enough. They heard the promises. They heard the, the word of God, and they believed that the Lord would use them that way. And so by hearing faith and acting on their faith, the power of the Holy Spirit flowed. So this is congruent with the first. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? The hearing of faith. The people that came to supply the Spirit, the people that came and laid hands on you and healings happened, did, are they able to do that by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Obvious, the hearing of faith. See, so verse 6, just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted him for righteousness, See, that wouldn't fit with God either. That God believed God just like Abraham believed God. See, it doesn't make any sense. No, this is talking about human beings. Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Therefore, verse 7, know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. In other words, you can't get saved under the law. You have to get saved by the same kind of faith that Abraham was credited for as having righteousness. Abraham believed God and it was counted him for righteousness. Verse 8, and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith 
preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, in you all the nations shall be blessed. So in other words, in Genesis chapter 12, when God said to Abraham, and in you, through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. He said families, and then later he said nations. In Genesis 12, he said families will be blessed. So he's saying God was promising that to him, not because he kept the law. Abraham <laughs> lived 500 years before God even gave the law to Moses. So all this was accredited to Abraham because he walked in faith and he believed God. See, verse 9, so then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Verse 10, for as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them but that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. Paul's saying it is absolutely evident, obvious, that nobody is justified by keeping the law, by the works of the law. He goes on to say, for, the Bible says, for the just shall live by faith. Verse 12, yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. The person who tries to keep the law to be good enough and to be qualified is going to have to live by that. He's going to have to live by the consequence of that, which is a curse. It's called the curse of the law, the curse of not keeping the law, literally. Verse 13. Oh, here it is. Ready? Christ, that's Jesus, the anointed one, the Messiah, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. <laughs> Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. How? Watch this. Having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. What is he saying? He's saying, in the Old Testament, it said, listen, if you keep the whole law, you'll have these blessings. And if you violate the law, you'll have all these cursings. Well, guess what? We did not keep the law. We were not obedient. When Jesus came and died on the cross, God put all of the sins on him, all of the breaking of the law on Jesus. He put the curse of breaking the law on Jesus for all of us. So the curse that was on you, the curse that was on me for being disobedient, God put that curse on Jesus and killed Jesus with that curse and in the process killed the curse of the law. So Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. We're redeemed from it. There is no more curse of the law for us unless you go back and pull your faith back off of Christ and put your faith back on the law to keep the law, you'll bring the curse back on yourself. But as long as you keep your faith in Jesus, that he took the curse for you, he redeemed you from the curse of the law. There's no more curse for you. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham, notice not the blessing of the law, <laughs> the blessing of Abraham. Abraham got the blessing of God by faith. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the, Spirit, of the Spirit through faith. Now watch this. There is a blessing of the law. And guess what? Abraham 
receive the blessing of the law. And through Jesus, we receive the blessing of the law. We have the blessing of Abraham, which includes the blessing of keeping the law, even though we didn't keep the law. Now, why do we get blessed with the blessing of keeping the law as if we kept the law? Because here's why. Jesus kept the law and the blessing came upon him. And so by receiving him, the blessing by grace just um, transfers down to us. That's not fair, but it's an inheritance. We're receiving it by this inheritance and that we might receive the promise of the Spirit. So we get the Holy Spirit living inside of us, even though we were sinners being born again. We get the promise of the Spirit by faith, just by believing. Verse 15, brethren, I speak in the manner of men, though it is only a man's covenant. Yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls it or adds to it. Uh, a blood covenant back in those days, you can't annul it, you can't add to it, okay? Verse 16, now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. Now watch this. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds as of many, plural, but as of one and to your seed, who is Christ. So interesting, Paul is bringing out, this is where Paul, I mean, he just was blowing the lid off of this thing with precision, unveiling these mysteries from the Old Testament. When God made a promise to Abraham and to his seed, God was, yes, blessing the descendants of Abraham, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the 12 tribes, or the 12 sons of Jacob. And I mean, it became hundreds and thousands of people. But Paul is saying, but God said to Abraham and his seed, and the real seed that he was speaking to was the descendant way down the line named Jesus. <laughs> so what happened when Jesus was born as a Jew in the family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he was born with the blessing of Abraham. And so when God gave Abraham the blessing, he was intentionally, yes, giving it to Abraham, but he was really wanting to give that blessing through Abraham to his son Jesus, who would be born as a human being, so that when Jesus lived on this earth, he would be living under the blessing of the Abrahamic covenant. And so all who put their faith in Jesus and become a part of Jesus, that blessing comes on them because we are the body of Christ. Can you see this? So he says, God wasn't really saying, Abraham, your seeds, all of your descendants, even though, yes, the blessing of Abraham did come on the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But he was really speaking that it needs to come on to the one particular descendant named Jesus. Why? Because through Jesus, both Jews and Gentiles receive true salvation by grace, and therein all the blessing of Abraham. Can you see that? It needed to get to that one because through Jesus, the whole world can be saved and receive the blessing. See these mysteries? And Paul is just unpacking these things. And to seeds as of many, not to seeds as of many, but as one, and to your seed who is Christ. Verse 17. And this I say that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ. In other words, God made this covenant with Jesus 430 years before the law through Abraham. That when God was speaking to Abraham, I'm speaking to you and your seed. God was making a covenant with Jesus who would come some 2,000 years after Abraham. 
But God had already made a covenant with Abraham and his seed way back before the law ever existed. So what Paul is saying here, 430 years later when the law came uh, into existence, it could not annul what God had already promised Abraham and his seed, Jesus, before. You get it? Okay. Watch this. So, verse 17, And this I say, that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ, that it should make the promise of no effect, the promise to Abraham and Jesus. For if the inheritance is of the law, like obedience to the law, it is no longer of promise. But God gave it to Abraham and to Jesus by promise. What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions till the seed, singular, till Jesus should come. What purpose does the law of Moses serve? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come. It was added because of transgressions until the seed should come. In other words, God's showing people how to live the right way. And yes, people aspire to that although they could never measure up to it, okay? But it was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. See, the promise was made, yes, to Abraham, but to Jesus, to whom the promise was made, and it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now, a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the scripture has confined all under sin, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. In other words, uh, the it says, but the scripture has confined all under sin. So the scripture has clarified that no human being uh, uh, in the flesh, of course, this is outside of Jesus, who was born sinless. No other human being could ever measure up to keep the whole law. See, confined all under sin. Verse 23, but before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith, which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Let me read that again. Therefore, the law... The law of Moses, don't do this, don't do that. Hundreds of laws, including the Ten Commandments, which sums them up, but hundreds of laws, okay? Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. In other words, by all these laws being given that you're supposed to measure up to and you realize, I can't measure up, that's the point. You need a Savior. So the law is showing you that you need salvation by something other than earning it. You need it by grace. See, so the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. Verse 25, but after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. Once you get the faith that Jesus has purchased this for you and you receive it by grace, now you don't need the tutor showing you how bad you are. You already recognized that you were a sinner and that you needed a Savior and received the Savior. Now you don't have to be under that law. Verse 26, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. In other words, 
baptized into Christ, this is when you got saved. But now you have to put on Christ. So the difference is when you're baptized into Christ, inside your spirit is born again. But when you put on Christ, that means that what's inside that's changed comes to the outside. And now everybody can see that your life has changed. Not trying to keep the law to be saved, but because you are saved, you're walking in righteousness and obedience before the Lord. Okay, so for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You're all one. So notice that this salvation This grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is a great equalizer. It doesn't matter whether you're male or female, slave or free, Jew or Greek. No, you're a human being who is saved by grace. And when you're washed in the blood, you're washed in the blood. That's it. You are a washed human being, just as pure as anybody else. Nobody's better than anybody else anymore. And then this beautiful verse to end the chapter. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Notice he used seed singular. He said, and if you are Christ's, in other words, if you belong to Jesus, then you are Abraham's seed singular and heirs according to the promise. Now, how could Jesus be Abraham's seed singular and I be Abraham's seed singular? Here's how. Because I'm in Christ. I'm a part of him. In fact, we collectively are the body of Christ. Ephesians says we are the fullness of him. So he, the head, and we, the body, are one person now, (laughs) recognized by the Lord as Christ. He's the head, we're the body of Christ. See, and so together we have become, though this is a mystery, but it's a beautiful thing. We have become Christ with him. Now, I know I'm not saying that I'm a God and you're God. No, that's not what we're saying. What we're saying is by the grace of Jesus, we've become a part of him. We have become one with him. So just as much as the blessing of Abraham, that promise that was given to Abraham in his seed, guess what? God meant for that promise not just to be to Abraham and not just to be to his seed, Jesus, But God saw us and God was making the promise to all of us who would put our faith in Jesus that that blessing before the law ever came about, that blessing of the promise to Abraham, God was making that promise to Jesus and to all of us. It comes on us by faith. Listen again. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs. (laughs) See, it's an inheritance and you are heirs according to the promise. Praise God. We should declare I'm righteous by the promise of Abraham and Jesus, and it comes down on me. The blessing of Abraham comes down on me through the Lord Jesus Christ. Boy, this is just exciting. It's exciting. So what does that mean? Well, just as Jesus, when he walked around the earth, and he had the support of God, and the miracles happened, and the power of the Spirit happened, that's you and me, folks. And if we don't walk in it, it's only because we don't believe it enough. (laughs) The more we believe it and lay hands on people and declare and pray as if God's listening to us, because we've got this blessing, the more we'll see the results, because it is real. Praise God. Well, that's good for today. That's a 
favorite chapter of mine in the whole New Testament. And I hope you've enjoyed it. There's much there that we didn't get into, but boy, we got into, I believe, the, the most important nuggets. I'll see you tomorrow for chapter four. Thank you for joining us for the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman. And thank you to those of you who have partnered with Solid Lives to help get this daily podcast and other resources like it to thousands of people around the world. If you would like to partner with Solid Lives, visit solidlives.com slash give. To find out more about the ministry of Solid Lives, how you can be a part of this church planting and disciple making movement, or for more great teachings and resources by Jerry, visit solidlives.com. We also want to invite you to check out Jerry's other podcast called The Jerry Dearman Podcast. Here, Jerry shares with us at least weekly from God's Word, challenging us and equipping us to fulfill the amazing plan that God has for our lives. You can find links to this podcast as well as Jerry's YouTube channel online at solidlives.com. Thank you again so much for joining us and we'll see you right here tomorrow as we jump into the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman.